if you will, Genesis chapter 1 this morning, and uh, today's Father's Day, so happy Father's Day to the fathers and grandfathers and so forth, and we're going to kind of talk about this Father's Day in, in this manner in, in, this morning. You know the old saying, happy wife, happy life, happy husband, all right, what is he up to? <laughs> right? That's usually how that goes, okay, sometimes for some of us. And again, I said this one earlier, I get the jokes out of the way, the dad jokes out of the way. You know, why, why, does, why do sons like Father's Day? Because it happens on Sunday. <laughs> okay, all right, anyway, boom, all right? Don't quit your day jobs, that's what somebody says, right? Anyway, when you come into, the, in, into Scripture and you think about Father's Day, and, and again, I, I was really thinking about all of the young folks that we have, okay? We have the teens here, we have the babies come, we got all... We have all these young children coming, and I was thinking about us as a local church, and I was thinking about what's going on here uh, growth-wise in the young people, but then also in connection with the world about us. Because the world about us is getting the culture that we live in, all right? And, And again, you and I don't live in China. We don't live in Korea. We don't live in India. We live here. So we have to worry about here, the, the culture here. And as it gets crazy, and then it's going to get crazier, I got to thinking about the function of the family, but also the function of the local assembly in the teaching of the children, raising the next generation. And we, children have a natural desire to want to know the things of the Lord if you teach them. Okay, they're naturally looking for discipline. When I when I drove a school bus, I drove the big buses and I drove the little buses. The big buses, I had rules. I only really had two or three, but there was ten listed, and I enforced all twelve of them. Okay, and what people would, parents would do is, well, my little my son needs to sit here. No, he doesn't. He's going to sit where I tell him he's going to sit. Well, my daughter needs to sit here. No, he, no. I, I had two brothers, and they fought like cats and dogs, so I separated them. I put them at opposite ends of the bus. You know what mom said? She stood in my door well. No, my two boys will sit together. And I looked at her, and I said, no, you're not, as I'm closing the door. Because I'm in charge, you know, it's my deal. It's my license. It's my, if something happens, etc. But the thing is, is when you begin to think about children and you think about what Scripture talks about them, and then you think about that connection with the family, but then also with the local church. The raising of the children is done in the home. That's where it's to be done. That's the responsibility of mom and dad. But the local church is to be an auxiliary aid to the family. Okay? We, we are to come up and have, have help you. And we have the opportunity and the privilege, honestly, to help mom and dad. To come up and say, here, not do it for you, but help you in doing it. Okay? And that's really, come back, did I tell you Genesis 1? Okay, Genesis 1.1. And again, if you kind of think about how all of this started. Genesis 1.1, in the beginning God created the heaven and the earth. At that moment, time began. And he creates. And time starts. Now, if you run out to Ephesians 1 verse 10, he talks about that in the dispensation of the fullness of time okay what is going to happen he's going to gather all things back under the headship of the lord jesus christ whether they're in heaven or they're in the earth so when god created he didn't just create because he was bored he created because he had a plan proverbs 3 says that knowledge and wisdom and understanding were on the table when he began to create and as he developed the blueprint, and he developed, he created. And when he created, he, he had knowledge about what he was going to do. He just didn't say, you know what, I think I'm just going to go, you know. One time years ago, I watched the kids, and they were, they were doing a craft, and one little boy just took a handful and 
through it. God didn't do that. He had a plan. He, he had knowledge about what he was going to do. He had a wise way to put it all together. And he had an understanding about what he was going to accomplish. So when he created and he began to do, he had, an, he had a thing at the end that he was going to accomplish. So all of time, from Genesis 1-1 to the fullness of it, is the outworking of that original plan and purpose of God. Genesis 1, 1, and you go look at Revelation 21, where the new heaven and the new earth, or the, you see, there, there's a goal. He doesn't just go, well, let's, let's just make a bunch of two-legged creatures and let's see if we can mess with them. He doesn't do that. He says, I've got a plan. I've got a purpose. And in that plan and that purpose, in the creating of it, he created four divine institutions. He created some institutions that were going to be rooted down in demand. Verse 2, and the earth was without form and void. And the earth, the earth is going to be the, the first part of the plan. And he's talking about all of the earth here. And, he's, and from, from Genesis 1-2 down to Paul in Acts chapter number 9, the earth is the center. And the earth in Acts 3, Peter says, all the things that have happened have been, been spoken since the world began. And what did the prophet speak about? His plan to establish a kingdom, a literal, physical, visible, earthly, Davidic kingdom here in the earth. And to take the Lord Jesus Christ and to put him to head over the planet. And to come along and use and work through Abraham and the seed of the woman and Abraham and Isaac and Jacob. And establish the nation of Israel, his people. And all through the scriptures, from Genesis 1-2 to Acts chapter number 9 there, and the revelation given to the Apostle Paul, all of that information is about God's plan to put his authority in the Lord Jesus Christ, in the earth, stick him in there, and he be the rightful ruler. And he's going to use man to do it. That's why he created man. He didn't create man because he thought two legs were better than four. He created man because he had a purpose in man, and he had a process, and he had a, he had a plan a pr to do and to deal with. But little did we know that he, little did creation know that he had what? Kept a secret. Romans 16, verse 25, but, but, but he, uh, I just, we, we've been looking at this verse for like eight weeks. Now, now to him that is of power to establish you according to my gospel and the preaching of Jesus Christ, according to the revelation of the mystery which was kept secret since the world began, but now is made manifest. And he kept a secret. And the secret part that now is revealed, now is made manifest, revealed to the Apostle Paul, given to him, and then passed down to to everyone that's going to believe and follow after, now that revealed, he revealed God's plan for the heavenly places. And you know, 1 Corinthians chapter 2 tells us that if Satan had known it, if Satan had known the hidden wisdom of God, verse 7 and 8, he would have never allowed the crucifixion of Christ to be accomplished. He'd have stopped it. He would not have come along and did all the dirty work. We were talking about that a couple last couple weeks in Romans there as we were ending that book where God's wisdom was to keep a secret and let Satan do all the dirty work. Let man do all the dirty work. And then when the end, when they crucified the Lord and he's re resurrected up and he's seated far above heavenly places and he shows up and he appears to Paul on the road to Damascus, you ought to pay attention to that event in Acts 9. It's very interesting how and things are said and what he says and Paul's reaction and so forth. And when that happened, the most shocked creature in the universe was the adversary because he knew that he just had accomplished his very own undoing. The verse says that he took, he takes the crafty in their own. He gets them and he got them. He kept a secret. Why? Because it's through the blood of the cross that will allow God to reconcile heaven and earth back under the authority of the headship of the Lord Jesus Christ. That's what we're doing in creation. That's what is creating here. 
That, that's what is transpiring in creation. You see, in Romans 16, 25, when he says, Now to him there is the power to establish you according to my gospel. Man, we, we fall in love with the gospel, don't we? We look down in it, we look at it, and we, we love it, and we, and we see the wonderful thing in it. But you know that that gospel message is much more than just you getting justified unto eternal life. That's a wonderful thing, by the way. Don't get me wrong. But it's just a footnote on page 11 to the ultimate glory and the ultimate goal of what he's going to do. There's more to than you just having your sins forgiven. There's more to it because God puts us, he puts you, he puts me into a plan that he had since before the foundation, since before he created all things. And we're a part of something wonderful. We're a part of something fantastic. So are our children. And that's where I'm headed. You and I, as adults, we, as moms and dads and as adults, we see that, we understand that. But you know what? We don't, don't leave the kids behind. Our children are a part of that, and they need to learn about that. Yes, it's wonderful to know that they got their souls, they're sent, they're, they're <laughs> on the bus to heaven, last hour. But they also need to understand that God, in the beginning, is doing something, a whole, just something bigger, bigger. You're in Genesis 1. Come on over to verse 26. You see, God in the beginning, what he did was he established four divine institutions of creation. Okay? And God said, verse 26, Let us make man in our image after our likeness and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the fowl of the air and over the cattle and over all the earth and over every creeping thing that creepeth upon the earth. Look at that. So God created man in his own image. In his image of God created he him. Male and female created he them. Who's the them? Male and female. All right, I know in the world today the pronoun nonsense is going stupid. Do you realize that if you have problems with pronouns, you can't adequately speak English? It doesn't matter what you're saying. You can't. See, you have to have the... Pronouns are an integral part of just speaking the language. See? You've got to be, it's a, but that's the craziness of it. So he, he establishes man, he creates man here. And God blessed them, and God said unto them, Be fruitful, and multiply, and replenish the earth, and subdue it, and have dominion over. Now, I read those ahead of what we're going to talk about here, so we have this in our thinking. When... When, he, when God established the four institutions for the orderly maintenance of humanity, the first one is volition, okay? Free will, you'll hear it called. But volition is much more than free will. The ability, volition is the ability to make a decision. That's free will. What volition says is make a decision and understand you're going to be held accountable for it. See, I can make a decision all day. And never worry about the consequences. But volition comes in and says, you make a decision and you're accountable for it. That's what he's going to do, by the way, with Adam and Eve when he says, hey, there's a tree over here you can't eat. And if you eat of that tree, what's going to happen to you? You're going to surely die. See? Now, what, is, what does Adam know? I have the choice of the garden full of trees to eat out of, except for one. So if I eat of that, what's my consequence? Spiritual death. See? So what can I? I have volition. Volition between a man and a woman says, will you marry me? Second institution is marriage. Marriage is not a church institution. It is not a government institution. Uh, institution it's a creation institution and when God takes Adam and Eve and he marries them man and woman by the way not Adam and Steve but Adam and Eve you know the joke 
you don't, you, you're living under a rock. And I say that, you know, and with, I got a point that I'm going to make here in a minute. Man and woman, what do they do? They make a choice to do what? Get married. Paul said, well, anyway, I won't, happy life, happy wife. <laughs> happy spouse, happy house, right? <laughs> okay. But then what, what's the natural outworking of marriage? Children. Third institution is family. What are we going to do? We're going to have kids. And we're going to have that be the natural result of marriage. Now, there's a fourth institution that he establishes after the flood over there in Genesis 9, and that's the issue of nationalism, nations. A nation is, is defined as borders, language, culture in Scripture, Genesis 10, Genesis 11. And when you have a nation, think about what happened at the Tower of Babel. What did the Lord do? He confounded their what? Their language. So who am I looking for now? Someone who talks like me, who speaks the same language. Then what am I going to do? I'm going to gather up with them, and what are we going to produce? We're going to produce a culture, okay? We have a lady across the street from us, and she is, I, 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 I would say she's Hispanic. She won't say that. She says, I am Mexican. Like, okay, <laughs> easy, I didn't know, you know. Or that you'll hear them say what? Latino, right? Okay? But what, when you think about those cultures and what they do and how they coalesce and work, that's, what, uh, that's what's happening here. The language comes together. The culture is developed. And then what do you do? You put a border around it to do what? Protect it. Acts 17 says that the, na the nationalism issue out there is for the protection of volition, marriage, and family. They can't protect themselves. So what do we need? We need a nation, a governmental structure to come in and protect that. From I, I Think about that. If you've got your culture and you've got your language and then somebody else in a different situation comes in and wants to take you, what would you do? You would put a wall up. You would put a border up. You would put up the sovereignty issue. And that is exactly what is going on in Scripture. So what makes a nation in Scripture is border, language, and culture. In Ephesians 5 and 6, we'll get there in just a minute, Paul brings us into this picture here. And he's going to begin to talk about us and, it, and the very fact that it's our privilege as members of the church, the body of Christ, to be a part of all of this because of the four institutions and the fact that they're designed to give man the opportunity to obey what God says. Now, the problem with the culture about us is what are they doing right now? They are disobeying what God says. See, there was never a question in this country of what marriage was defined as until the last maybe 20, 30 years. Why? Because even the heathen understood that marriage was a man and a woman. They understood that. Why? Because that's, they were what? Taught that. Because what do we do with our children? We teach them. See. Genesis 1, look at verse 28. God makes man. Now, just think about this. He makes man, verse 28, well, let me get there, there in, in verse uh, 26, after our likeness and let them have, you see that dominion, okay, authority, rulership, verse 28, and God blessed them, and God said unto them, be fruitful and what? Multiply. If they're going to be fruitful and multiply, you know what they are? They are already married. You with me? So when we see the marriage performed in chapter 2, that is a look back into verse 28 of chapter 1. See? Chapter 2 of Genesis explains some of the, the detail of chapter 1, 20, when he makes man and so down and so, uh, and so forth. 
What are we going to do? We're going to multiply. We're already married. We're going to have children. And again, then he says, if I keep the verse, replenish. That's our children having what? Children. So now what are we, mom and dad? We are grandparents, aren't we? Hopefully, one day, maybe. Maybe you already are. Multiply. Replenish. Get out there and, and fill up this earth. And this is where we begin to develop the culture that, that they're going to grow up in and goes out and replenishes and refills the earth with people who understand God's plan and God's purpose. And then he says, and subdue it. So we have an enemy that we have to go up and we got to fight. And you go over to Psalms 8 and you read about what, what is man. And he talks about this enemy and he put all of this and subdue it. You're going to go out there and bring it under subjection. Adam would literally leave the garden and go to war with the adversary. And then come home. And Eve would have apple pecan lettuce salad ready to go. And, he, and Adam would sit there and chomp her down. Get up the next morning, go to war. Subduing it, bringing it under subjection. But now notice in verse 28, after subdue it, there's a what? What's the punctuation? A colon. Very interesting. Because now the rest of this verse is going to set up an explanation of what the list is designed to accomplish. Why is man being told to go be fruitful and multiply and replenish and subdue? And have what? Dominion over. You see, man's ultimate, man's the king. By the way, Adam was a king, priest, and prophet. He's one of the only men in scripture that held all three offices. Do you know the next man to do it? David, man after the Lord's own heart. Do you remember who the next guy is? The Lord Jesus Christ. Nobody else. You know why? Because God told Moses, you put this in the law, no one man is to usurp the three offices. And the moment you usurp, usurp the three offices, it's death time. And the only one that got the exemption to that was King David. As he was running from Saul, he had to perform some of the priestly activity. Genesis here, what are we to do? We're to subdue. Man is to do this. We're to have dominion over it. We're to bring earth back under the dominion and the authority of God's word. That's why Satan attacks man and goes after, yea, hath God said. Now, come to Ephesians 5. All that's introduction. Okay? Come to Ephesians 5. Because Paul takes us back there. He puts us in there. You, you, you got Ephesians 5. Hold on there. Look over at 2 Corinthians 4. I just show you this because, you, you, folks, Paul takes us back to Adam. He doesn't take us back to, actually, he also takes us back before Adam, okay, before the foundation. But he takes us back to Adam. L look at 2 Corinthians 4. Just look at verse 6. Just so you see how Paul do this. 2 Corinthians 4, 6. For God, who commanded the light to shine out of darkness hath shined in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus. When did God, who command, when did God command the light to shine out of darkness? That's Genesis 1, verse 3. That's day one. You see how Paul drags you back there? And he says, by one man, sin entered the world. We go all the way back to Adam. And you know what he says back there? You know what God established? He established volition, marriage, family. And then... The nationalism, and subsequently in chapter 6 here, what are we going to have? You've got, you, you have no excuse not to do what you're supposed to be doing. Paul brought you into, oh, Rick, that's Old Testament. No, Paul just stuck you in there. Look at verse 18. Just see this. We are to participate in, in what God's doing. We are to produce Godly generations who are going to understand what God's doing and, and, and come and design and desire to be a part of that. That's going to start with home. 
but here at the local church, it's what? It's fortified. It's bolstered. It's built up. Look, if you will, at verse 18, 518. And be not drunk with wine wherein is excess, but be filled with the Spirit. All right? How, what is it to be filled with the Spirit? You take a look over at Colossians chapter 3 and verse 16, and he says, Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly. You see, being filled with the Spirit is having our lives, our thinking, under the control of the word of Christ. It's when I take my faith and I'm resting it in the truth of God's word, no matter what's going on about me, no matter what I think I ought to be doing, this or that, I'm going to take God's word and allow the Spirit to take the power of that word and to move it from the page into the operations and the details of my life. And I'm going to do it by faith. By the way, that's institution number one, volition. I choose to be filled with the Spirit. I choose to allow the Word of God to dictate the details of my life. No matter if I think they're wrong, no matter if I don't fully understand them, no matter anything, I know that thing in Romans 12, verse 2, when he says that you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God, that isn't a three-step situation to, to uh, maturity. That's an understanding that, you know what, God's got a will and it's good. When God created and he looked around and he said what? It's good. It's according to the design. It's according to, so good. It's got a purpose. There's a reason for it. There's a reason I went over there and hung the stars the way I hung them. And there's a reason why I made earth the center of the universe. There's a reason I'm doing this. It's good. Acceptable. Because there is a reason for it, even though I may not fully understand all of it, you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to believe him. And I'm going to believe in that purpose. The reason that God hung the earth as sits in the middle of the universe, in the center of the universe, is because that's his desired dwelling place. And where else would the God desire to dwell with creation? And he would put it out here, third rock from the sun. He ain't going to be out here in left field or right. Where's he going to be? Right in the middle of the creation. And then he says, perfect. You know what I'm going to do? I'm going to grow up. I'm going to let that purpose, I'm going to let that design, I'm going to let that reason, even though I may not fully understand it, you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to let it work in me. I'm going to let it get down in my inner man, and I'm going to let it grow, and I'm going to water it, and I'm going to pay attention to it, and you know what will happen? Perfect. I'll get some maturity out of it. So then when the world starts throwing nonsense at me, what can I do? Nonsense, 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 and I'm no longer tossed to and fro by every wind of doctrine. Come back to Ephesians 5. So what's Paul going to do here? Volition, make a choice to be what? Filled with the Spirit. Make a choice to have your life under the control of the Word of God. By the way, verse 19, 20, and 21, that's what that produces. It produces a harmony in your life, in your life. It produces a, a thankful attitude, not toward your spouse or toward your kids, but toward God. Then it allows you to come in and, and have a submissive attitude towards who? Everybody else. Submission is a wonderful thing. It's about serving, being, ser being a servant. Submitting, letting some come in and help. Because in verse 22, who does he talk to? Wives. Verse 25, who does he talk to? Husbands. So where are we? Divine institution number two, marriage. And here's how this is going to work out in marriage. 6-1, children. Oh, children, obey your parents in the Lord for this is right. Uh-oh. Now where are we? Institution number three, family. Fathers. Verse 4, and ye fathers, there's family. Verse 5, servants. Verse 9, masters, there's the world, there's the culture. You're out doing, you're out in it. You see, all the institutions that God established for the orderly maintenance of humanity, Paul just gave them to the believer in the dispensation of grace. Yeah, but Rick, no, there is no yeah, buts here. This is what it is. This is what those verses say, see? I get so sick and tired of the 
oh, man, yeah, but Rick, you just don't understand. I do understand that you don't want to be held accountable for your activity. God says, tough luck, dude, you're accountable. One day you're going to stand, whether it's before the judgment seat of Christ, a good day, or the great white throne judgment, a bad day. You're going to be accountable. So might as well get on board and quit fighting it because it goes against some family tradition. That's, by the way, none of that's in the notes, okay? You see, we are to function in all four of these institutions because the Word of God is doing what? It's what's controlling life. Your volition is controlled by faith in God's Word. That's going to produce in your marriage certain activities. That's going to produce in your family certain activities. And the result is we're going to be functioning in a certain way and we're going to be producing a culture that we live in. And Ephesians 6 lays this out. Look at verse 1, 6 1. Children, oh, don't you thought you were off the hook? Obey your parents in the Lord. For this is right. Honor thy father and mother, which is the first commandment with promise, that it may be well with thee, and thou mayest live long on the earth. And ye fathers, provoke not your children to wrath, but bring them up in the nurture and the admonition of the Lord. Boy, what a... Man, Paul doesn't... He doesn't worry about how much money you make. He doesn't worry about how big a house you have. He goes right into the home, doesn't he? And he says, your home life needs to be set so, dad, fathers. But notice something, children. You see, godly generations are designed to impact the culture. And that is what allows them to live long. And the idea here is is the children having a culture and where life prospers. That's the living long. You know how long you're going to live? As long as you live. You can get in your vehicle today, go home, pull out in front of a bus, and we'll see you in glory. Well, they didn't live long, so they must not have been obeying. Yeah, they were. That's not what he's talking about here, okay? By the way, guys who teach that, and I've heard them, they just don't understand what's happening here doctrinally. You see, the world we live live in, it's not friendly to the truth of God's word. So if I want my children, if I want your children to live long, then what do we need to produce? A culture in which they can do what? Live long in. Actually, I'll be honest with you, as we see politicians and the government today, they are now begun, they have already intruded into things that they shouldn't be involved in. The government was never to be messing with marriage or the family. But yet we see them where? In it. And when government overtly sponsors attacks on the moral standard that, that is in the realm of God's word establishing, then that government has literally declared war on the word of God. So we are to do what? Paul exhorts us in the next chapter to, uh, over in uh, 2 Timothy 3, to continue, but thou continue in. You see, we're to continue in the things of God's word, even when government has legalized the opposition of it. What are we to do? We're to stay the course. We're to produce a culture where our children can do what? Grow, prosper. In what, though? Not making the the money, not having the big house on the hill, but growing who? Who they are in Christ and the doctrine. Does that make sense? Okay. Verse 2, children, obey your parents. (laughs) Honor thy father and mother. Notice both parents are on board here, mom and dad. Honor. When he says honor there, He's not, obey, obedience is, when children are little, you got rules of the house. And if they break the rules, they understand there's a consequence. 
you set how long they're under those rules. Eventually, as children, you are to bring them into an understanding of God's grace. And I'll be, I'll be honest with you, that is where most parents fail. Because I know parents who have adult children living on their own, and you know how they're dealing with them? Legalistically, like they're living under their own house. And that ain't the case. That's going to do what? Provoke them to wrath. See? No, you take that child, you train them up, you get them going, and you know what you do? You come over here and you instill in them God's word rightly divided and the sound doctrine, and you know what they'll do when they're old? They'll honor you. The honor here is they're doing what now? The things that God's word says. Room got quiet. Children are to do what? Obey the parents. But mom and dad have a job too in this. Notice, when you don't, we're, we, we, we need to, we're going to do it God's way. If we do that, they'll live long. They, they have that culture that allows them to be established in the truth of God's word. That's here at the local assembly. That's in your home. And when you don't, by the way, you know what you produce? You produce the chaos and the violence of Genesis 6, of Noah's day. That's what you produce. Why? Because, the, and by the way, you know what that resulted in? A flood. Judgment. Now, you're not gonna, he's not going to flood the earth again, but there's going to be what? Judgment, trouble, tribulation, heartache's going to come. They're going to do things, and you're going to go, oh, my goodness, what are they doing? And it's because you didn't do your job to establish it. Honor. You see, folks, no matter their age, they need this. This is not just hitting mom and dad, by the way. I know grandparents. You got that little grandchild? You need to create a culture in your home where they can do what? Come to understand who they are in Christ. First of all, get, they need to be in Christ. Understand it. Fathers. Now, by the way, you got two things here. Bring them up in the nurture and admonition. I'm sorry, provoke them not to wrath and bring them up in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. The, moms are not excluded from verse 4. Grandmom are not, is not excluded. Now, the reason he says fathers is because who is the head of the house? Who's the head of the marriage? The husband is. Who's the head of the family? The father is. Yeah, but he just ain't doing it the way I want to do it. Doesn't matter. Sit down shut up. Well, but he's not doing it. It doesn't matter. He's the, he's the head. But you know what you need, though, don't you? You need mom's hand on the cradle sometimes. You see? She's partnered here with husband and father. They're to work together to accomplish this. Again, yes, dad's the head, he's the, he's the head, but you know what? Remember Proverbs 31 and the virtuous woman? And it says, her children will rise up and call her blessed. How'd that happen? If dad's over here ruling with a heavy hand. It didn't. It happened because what was she? She was right there involved in it. You see, and that gets back up there in verse 2, honor thy father and mother. Mom is crucially important here in raising up a godly generation. Now, the responsibility falls on the father because he's the head. But mom's got a part in it. Don't think you're, well, wait till your dad gets home. No, deal with it. That's your job. You got that right to do that. It's funny. When I uh, counsel uh, the, the young couples around here that have been getting married and now they're having kids, and I tell them, I said, you guys got to work together and how are you going to raise your future children? You've got to figure this out because you're taking two families and you're making one new identity now. Man's going to leave his mom and dad and cleave and they're going to be one, one new family unity. So you're going to take your stuff and you're going to take your stuff and I'll never sound like my dad. Oh, yeah, you will. I ain't going to ever sound like my mom. Oh, yeah, you will. And put them together. Why? Because it takes two of them. She's a partner in it. Now, think about this. Fathers, provoke not your children to wrath. Come over to Romans 4. What produces wrath? You see, 
Father's, it's Father's Day, Romans 4. And moms, you need to listen too, because sometimes mom gets a little more into this than dad. Men think about this stuff straight line. Ladies think of it in a big old roundabouty circle-y thing. Dad's going to say this, mom's going to do this. But mom's this needs to straighten out and match dad's that. Provoke not. Don't make your children's identity based on a performance-based thinking. It needs to be based on the nurture and admonition of the Lord. Because Romans 4.15 tells you, because of the law worketh what? Wrath. For where no law is, there is no truth. What works wrath? Legalism does. Perform or else. That ought to never cross your lips as those children grow and get older. As young ones, don't go play in the street. That's a rule in my house. Why? That kid doesn't understand the danger of playing in the street out there. You do. So it's a rule of protection. It's a rule. So what happens when they go play in the street? There's discipline that's going to be applied to eventually, guess what happens? They don't go play in the street anymore. But as they grow older and grow up, and we begin to go back to Ephesians 6 there, we begin to, to, they begin to grow and we begin to teach them. And you know what begins to happen? That legalistic stuff moves, gives way. That law, the rules of the house give way to the thinking of grace and the application of a grace mindset and a grace thinking. That's why he says there in verse 4, but bring them up in the nurture and the admonition of the Lord. When we're raising children, the ch- what the, think about this. When you're raising kids, what does that child know? What does that child understand to be? Nothing. You know what they know? They just know you. Because who are you? You're mom and dad. So their understanding of life is to be the life that you have. Does that make any sense? If you're producing a culture where they can grow and live long in, what do they know about life? They don't know anything out there. What do they know? Everything inside that house that happens. So when they see husband not treating wife in an appropriate manner, then what do they think is okay? That activity, see. You see, they understand life to be life in, in, in what they see, where they live. You see, they only understand because they see you. Now, again, some don't have kids, and some do, and some are grandkids and everything, and I get that. But in the local assembly, in the broader picture, that's where we can come in. That's where we step in and help. Bring them up. Don't send them. Why? They need to know what life is. What is life? Life is what we go do. So what do we do on Sunday mornings? We go to church. Why do we go to church? Well, because dad and mom said so. But then ultimately, as they get older and you dads release them to their adulthood, why should they go to church? Because that's where we learn and grow and are edified, and we can fellowship with other like-minded. You see, you're, you're moving them. Fathers and mothers, this is the way that you should be living your life. Bring them up. By the way, the nurture and the admonition... Just for time of sake, you do that. I studied this out. Linda comes to me and says, you're going to be a dad. I said, great. woo Yay. Now what? <laughs> Never been a dad before. What does this do? So you get to looking, and obviously you come here. What's the nurture and admonition? And I begin to study that out, and it goes all the way back to Genesis, ironically. And it goes in, and it, and it works down through, and ultimately in the big picture of it, The kid comes to dad and says, dad, why do we go to the temple? And why do we go do this? And why do we bring the sacrifice? And you know what dad says? Because I told you to do it. No. He says, because that's what the word of the Lord said unto us to do. So what does the word of God say to you and I today in the age of grace? 
Are we held accountable? Grace holds you far more accountable than the law ever did. Why? Because grace says, I've done it for you. I didn't do it. I did it for you outside of your own activity. It's a free gift. Now, how are you going to live for me? What are you going to do with it? And then he says, and lets you do. And he teaches you. You see, the issue of, come over to Galatians 4. The, the issue here, folks, is in that culture of the home, Galatians 4, that you're, where we're raising the children, raising that next godly generation. They're going to see the way that they should be living life. And the way that they should be living life, they learn that because they, your children see life the way you live it. Because they're what? They're just sponges, man. They just suck it up. I can remember, well, I can remember the first time I ever swore, used a bad word. And I did it, my mom heard it, and I didn't walk for three weeks. You know why? Because it was not. My dad, I can remember to this day, my dad looking at me and saying, where did you hear that word? And I told him. And he goes, You've never heard me use that word. You never use that word ever again. And if I hear that word, you're going to be on the street with nothing. I mean, he was, because I didn't learn it at home. You know where I learned it? I learned it on the baseball diamond. I didn't learn it at home. Therefore, I didn't, you know, I didn't even know what I said, what it meant, see. You see, that's what we're doing here. The most important thing in the life of a child is mom and dad. Not all the stuff. They need to see mom and dad's relationship because that's where life is boiled down to and for us. Look at Galatians 4. So dads, <laughs> moms, you guys, we're raising the next generation. You know, if the Lord tarries, and who knows if he does or not, but so... You live life like he's coming in the moment and you plan it out for the next 10, 15, 20 years as if he's going to delay. That's what Paul did. Paul looked for it in his day, but yet he had plans out for years. The thing is, is we're, de we're to develop a culture for them to grow in. Galatians 4, verse 1. Here's a couple verses that are very interesting. Now I say that the heir, as long as he is a child, differeth nothing from a servant, though he be Lord of all, but is under tutors and governors until the time appointed of who? The Father. Isn't that an interesting? You know what, guys, young people? You're a child until your dad says differently. Yeah, but the law says 18. 18. When your dad, the father, comes in and says, okay, your time for you to be an adult. Now, let's think about this. Come over to Hebrews 5. The child, they're going to progress. They're going to grow. And they're going to, Hebrews 5, and they're going to grow through training, and they're going to eventually move into adulthood just by the natural issues of life, of them growing. The saddest thing I ever see is a mom telling a 25-year-old what to do. It's sad because there's two problems there. One, mom doesn't know, remember her place. Two, the kid never grew up. It's sad. It should never be that way. Well, first of all, it's not mom's job. It's dad's job. It says, until the time appointed of the father. Now, by the way, when I had this conversation with my three kids, you know who I cleared it all with mom because mom got a little sometimes a little better feeling and I would I asked Linda said what do you think about with Ricky and Danielle and Emily and she let me know and I'm like okay let me think on it and then we release them to their adulthood think about Hebrews 5 the, that child is going to grow verse 13 for everyone that uses milk is unskillful in the word of righteousness for he is a what so if you're on milk, what are you? You're a baby. That's what you are. That's who you are. Verse 14. But strong meat belongeth to them that are of what? Full age. Isn't that it? You, you're going to have some meat. It's time to eat the meat. What are you? Full age. 
now watch, even those who by reason of use have their senses exercised to discern both good and evil. Now look at that. That child is considered to be an adult when the father, and again, with mom's help, says so. It's the father's job to know the, their children so well that they understand when they've moved from milk to the T-bone to steak time. William Shakespeare spread it, said it, it is a wise father that know his own children. And that's the case here. So see the process. You take that child, you grow him from a baby to adulthood. But, bringing, but being, being an adult means that you have a renewed mind. How do I get my renewed mind? By the Word of God. You come to understand the truth of God's Word, and you begin to understand what He's doing and how to take that truth and apply it to the details of life. So, and that was going to produce some maturity, some full age, so that when life comes by, then what can I do? I can apply that to those details, and I'm safe and secure. I'm not tossed to and fro. I can come along. I can look at life. And when the news media and the world about us say that it's, uh, marriage is now whatever you want and whoever you want, we know that no, marriage in Scripture is male and a female. That's what we're going to do. We're not going to do that. I don't have to protest. I don't have to march on Washington. I'm doing it within the confines of my home to produce a godly generation so that that generation now can have an impact on the culture about them. Because one day, if the Lord tarries, I'm dying and moving and being promoted. They're going to be here. So how do we get them through it? That's how, the goal <laughs> is to bring them to a place of having a conscience developed to where they can go out and use the renewed mind to make godly decisions about the things of life. That's in the home. But guess what? It's also here in a local assembly. That's why this place is so important. Because I see my kids this way, somebody else's viewpoint comes over here. Now, you don't have a right to tell somebody else, this kid, unless mom and dad say, you can nail them, that's okay, go ahead. <laughs> okay? We used to do that. If they're out of line, you whack them, you whack them good. Cause, and then you tell me and I'll whack them later. <laughs> you know, then they won't do it again. You see? Now, come to Proverbs 22. We've got one more verse here. You see, folks, it's Father's Day. And dads, and, and again, moms, uh, we got the job given to us of producing godly generations. That's our job. And what happens is, is dads, we're to know that child so well that when it's time for them to go and to be declared an adult, mom doesn't do it, dad does it. Dad sits with that child and says, okay, our conversations now are going to be different. This is exact, I'll tell you exactly what I told my three children. I looked at my three children and said, I will always be your dad. And your mom will always be your mom. So make sure you text your mom, okay? And you better call mom. But our conversations now are not going to be father-child, discipline, boom, do this, do that. It's rather going to be an adult conversation. How does adults talk? We see a problem, what do we do? We work it out. I'm here to be a, an advice board, a sounding board for you. I'm here to help you. I'm here to get you, uh, to move you along in some advanced understanding here. So with my kids, my conversations with them are completely different than they were when they were five. Why? Because we had rules of the house. Why? I'm trying to train up that savage. <laughs> trying to get them, you know, civilized. Now we have adult conversations. You know what that means for me? When they mess up, what do I have to do? Let them mess up. As much as it hurts, as much as it tugs to jump in and fix, I have to let them do what? Work it through. You follow that? That's what he's talking about here. It's your job. Look at Proverbs 22, in verse 6. This verse gets, is so misunderstood. It's so misread. Actually, I'll be honest with you, all of, the raise, all of the raising children verses in Proverbs, and there's quite a few, are so misunderstood and should never enter. If you want to know how to raise your child 
You need Ephesians 6, 1 to 4 and Galatians 4, 1 and 2. Just stay out of Proverbs. Because what Proverbs does is what? Lays in the law. Because who does it belong to? Israel. So here you are. I'm going to train up a child in the way he should go. And when he is old, he will, will not depart from it. And you know what's going to happen? That kid's going to depart from it. And you're going to go, oh, no, my perfect family is no longer perfect because you've been reading Proverbs. See? Wait a second. That's not, by the way, that, you know what happens? You know, Pastor Rick, yeah, so-and-so's not doing what he's supposed to be doing. I know he's an adult. <laughs> what it is well make him do it Uh uh-uh no well proverbs 22 no you got to read what that verse says not what it does it doesn't say lecture them it doesn't say tell them what to do or not to do it doesn't say keep you on them what does it say train up a child what does it say? Ephesians 6, 4. Bring them up. Train them up. Get them a staff. When that kid starts able to read, put Romans in front of him and let him read it. Or her. Again, pronoun neutral, Gary. See? When that kid makes a mistake as they get older, when, when me and my brothers got in our teens, we wrote Ephesians 4, 32 so many times the hand cramped. My dad quit disciplining physically, you know, the spankings and everything because we were as big as he was. But we started writing Bible verses. And you know what began to become ingrained? Be ye kind one to another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another, even as God, for Christ's sake, hath forgiven you. I can, qual- I can see it. And you know what we had to have? We had to have it all right. Punctuation right. Capitalization right. We couldn't, we couldn't get all on the slide. You know, what, but what, you know what began to happen? All of a sudden, it's now ingrained in my what? In my thinking as I go. It says, train them up. Well, how do I do that? In the way he... Should go. Now that's not telling them what to do. Again, that's dad. You know your children so well. You've invested in your child's life to the place that you understand who they are and what their identity is. I'll give you an illustration. I'm going to embarrass Danielle. When our kids were little, we played, I had them play sports. I wanted them to understand sports. Soccer, so we're playing soccer. I'm the coach. Danielle played one game. There's a season. She plays one game. I'm, we're at practice. We're going. We're in the game. And I'm out there, and I'm going, Danielle, what's going on? What's wrong? She goes, I am sweating, and I am done. And I'm like, okay. So I sub her out for the boy that bugged me all day to play, you know, so play, go. You know, herd ball, you know, Okay. So about two or three months later, the dance studio around from the house opened up. Now, my daughters are in dance class. And I'm watching them dance, and you know what my daughter's doing? Sweating. (laughs) But you know what she's doing? She's sweating at something she wants to do. So you know what I understood? She's never going to win a national championship on the soccer field. But she is sure enough going to enjoy the discipline of dance. The ballerina point and all that good stuff. What it, I know my child. Ricky, a little different. They get into high, they get up, they get in junior high and high school. I'm like, what are you going to do? Marching band. I'm like, marching what? What is that? I know nothing about it. So marching band. So here they are, and Danielle played the clarinet. And I'm like, are you going to play the clarinet? No, I'm going to do flags. You're going to do what? What is that? I'm Googling flag. What is this flag cord? And, all this? and you know what happened? What, but what's, I know them. See, Emily was the same way. We're going to do this. I didn't make them do what I wanted them to do. I made them do, I, I understood who they were. I invested some time. I, make, I looked at them and I saw what was unique to them. What is, and by the way, that word unique, you go over in Proverbs uh, 30, and you see him talk about the, the way the eagle flies. You know, an eagle flies in a very unique way. 
It doesn't fly the same way a dove flies. Unique. They're, I went over there, and I know my child. You need to know your children so that you can help them understand who they are. That's train them up in the, train them up in the way he should go. Not you go. He go. That means i got to know that kid so well that she's never going to step on a soccer field again unless she's doing what? Twirling a bunch of flags because she's part of the band or whatever it is. I understand that. You know why? Because if you don't help them understand who they are, the world will. And now you're in crazy land. They need to know, not only do they need to know who they are, but they also need to come to understand who they are in Christ. I warned Linda we'd be a little long this morning, okay? You see, folks, when you lead them into this, when they come and they begin to learn who they are and their uniqueness and, and their, their identity, and you don't let the world tell them what they are, and then what you do is you bring them up in the nurture and the admonition of the Lord. Now we're back in Ephesians 6. You see, part of the privilege of raising children is not just give them stuff. It's coming along and, get, and, and helping them understand that sense of identity. Not only just who they are, but who they are in Christ now. And that's going to take you taking the thumb off of them or the foot off their neck when it's appropriate. Why? Because you know them. My middle brother, when he was finally released to his adulthood, was in his early mid-twenties. I was released to my adulthood at 16. My brother was in his middle twenties, so was my younger brother, early twenties. Why? I'm completely different than my two brothers. At 16, my dad handed me the keys to a 1980 Volkswagen diesel rabbit, two-door, with the sunroof, no AC. We know, what's that? That's for babies. We toughed it out. We had, air, we had heat because we had to have heat to keep the ice off the windshield. And you know what he said? He said, go to Bible camp in Colorado, Denver, Colorado. Here go. I was 16 years old. Here's the money for the diesel. It should cost because it was a diesel. Here's what it should cost. Oh, by the way, follow this family and stay with them. Me and my brother, my middle brother, and a couple of the other guys, and off we went. I was 16 years old. My middle brother, that ain't never happening. Different. Not that my brothers were bad or anything, just different. Per, different. Dad knew me, see. You need to know your kids. 6-4, what are we going to do? We're going to bring them up in the nurture. The nurture, the, we're going to develop the sound doctrine into them. We're going to get it in down, and we're going to train them. We're going to take that sound doctrine, and we're going to get it into their inner man. That's why coming to church, is, the local assembly is so important. Admonition. That's to take that sound doctrine that we've got down into them, and now we're going to come and we're going to take it and we're going to apply to the details of life. Do you know why you don't lie? Because the book says we're to be honest with all men. So what do you, treat them, what do you train them when they're little? When I ask you a question, you do not lie to me. They don't need to understand that Roman says be honest. They just need to understand what? Don't lie. You tell me the truth. As they get older, what do you say? Don't lie. Where were you last night? I, I heard the doorbell or I heard the garage door at 1 in the morning because they're out, you know, doing what you did. So now you know it's really bad. And they say, well, I was over at Jimmy's house doing this. Don't lie to me. Tell me the truth. Why do I have to tell you the truth? Because Romans says, or you know, the, and then you give them, nail them with it. Because the Word of God says, I'm to be honest with all men. And I'm your dad, and I'm your mom, and you're going to be honest. You know, it starts right here. When you put yourself into knowing the, your children at the level of their soul, who they really are, you let them know who you really are. My dad, I said it to my kids, you know what your problem is? You're kin to your daddy, and I'm kin to Adam, so you're going to fail, and you're going to mess up. But I love you, and I may never know, for, you know, 
I'm never going to fully condone it, but I'll help you through it. You let them know who you really are. And you know what they will? They'll truly understand what life is really all about. Our, our job here as a local assembly is to kind of plug into that. We play a little part. And, and again, not to raise them, not to take over and to do the raising, but to help you in that. Raising children is a wonderful privilege. And we praise the Lord for the opportunity to work with you in this endeavor. But it starts in that home. And mom and dad, you need to make sure that you're using the resource of the local church. It's very valuable. As you come in and you say, okay, I got kids and I'm raising them, you know, and I got to do, and, and, and ask questions and look into things. Because what is the ultimate goal? The godly generation. So happy Father's Day. You think about this. We're not just out going to go out and have lunch, dinner, and, you know, open a, is it like my new tie? Okay. By the way, it is a new tie. Okay? There's something going on spiritually in, in deep. Grandparents, you got similar jobs. Step up. Help them out. You know? And I know everybody has different life stories in the background. I get that. Some don't have kids. Some do. Some don't want them. Some are like, <laughs> okay, I get it. But that doesn't mean as a local assembly we can't work together. Okay? All right. Dear Father, we thank you for the morning, Lord. We thank you for your word. And above all, Lord, we just thank you for the exhortation, for the instructions here, and the issues of producing a godly generation. And we just thank you for everything that you've given to us in your Son. And we'll do all to the honor and to the praise of that. In your name we pray. Amen. All right. Now, we would try.